All right, so for those of you who are maybe at least over the age of 30, you like had all this nostalgia stir up when we started playing that. And for some of the kids in here, you're like, what in the world was that? So back in a time when post-credit scenes, you know, like the little clip that plays at the end of all the credits at the end of a movie, was not a normal thing. Like before, it was in every single Marvel movie. Uh, it didn't happen that often. It wasn't that common when this movie came out, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And there's this iconic scene at the end where he's like, the movie's over. What are you, why are you still here? And I wanted to play that because in a way, that's kind of how I feel in the book of Daniel right now. Like we're here in Daniel chapter 12 and it's like, really, are we still here? Like I know it's only been three months we've been going through it. It's only 12 chapters. But first six chapters are narrative and they're exciting and there's lots of cool imagery that happens there. Chapter seven is this prophetic vision that Daniel gets, but it's like, kind of easy to understand, and it's really the climax of the whole book, and then you got chapters 8 through 12, and I have, as I've mentioned this before, I've looked to a lot of commentators and theologians that I really trust who will do work on Daniel, and when they get to like 8 through 12, they're like, okay, and here's a summary of these last four chapters, right? Uh, and especially when you get to chapters 10 through 12, it's one event being described in three chapters, 11 being the longest. And so this stuff starts to get uh, a little bit muddy. It's, it's a lot less clear than Daniel being thrown into a den full of lions because he would not bow down and worship false gods. He would only pray to his God, right? It, this, this stuff is like starting to really decipher like, all right, hold on, what, what does this goat mean? And what is this... 7 times 70s mean? Like, what is that, right? And so it's getting kind of difficult, and especially 10 through 12. This last vision that Daniel gets, and the bulk of that was in chapter 11, which is exactly why I let Will preach that last week. And we had a little argument over who had the hardest job, because I was like, ha, you had to teach chapter 11, and he's like, yeah, but you had to teach it to the kids. And I was like, yeah, but if I get stuck with the kids, I just make a booger joke, and then we can... <laughs> Everything's fine, right? So I might do that today as we're wrapping it up. Um, but so it kind of feels like, really, are we still here? Like I could have just like done a conclusion, really brief overview summary of even chapters 10 through 12 and just skipped over all the numbers that are in there and skipped over all the, and very, very tempted to do so. Um, but we're not, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, here we are. We're still here, right? The other reason I wanted to show that clip though is that's kind of what the messenger from God says to Daniel at the end. And so we're going to read it, and Daniel's like, okay, I, hold on, I got some questions. And he's asking some questions, and at the end, he's basically told, go. You're still here? Go on your way, okay? It's over. The vision's over. The message is over. Take it and go. And so I think that's great advice, I think it's going to be really good advice for us as we're trying to decipher what's happening here. But first, we do have to read it. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. And remember, this is continuing one event from chapter 10, 11, and now 12, where Daniel has, he was at a river, he was with some other people, he sees this vision of this majestic looking figure, the other people with him don't see this man, but terror overcomes them and they run off. Daniel sees and he faints before him. And then another hand comes and touches him, 
wakes him up, gives him strength. That was chapter 10, chapter 11. He tells him this is what's gonna happen to the people of Israel over the next few hundred years. And so that's that period that we call the intertestamental period between that last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet, Malachi, who we hear from, and then when Jesus is born, the book of Matthew. So there's this 400 period of years where it seems like God is silent, but really God had given them what was going to happen ahead of time. That was chapter 11. Will did a great job with that. If you missed it, there's some good info in there. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. We will not rehash that this morning. Chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that would be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard, but did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? He said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. This is God's word. Father, give us understanding. Open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive your word, that we may be transformed by it and made to look more and more like your holy people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, some weird stuff, right? What are the 1,290 days and 1,335 days? And what is he talking about, this abomination of desolation? And Lord, help us. <laughs> and here's, here's what I'm going to tell you right now. Unless the Spirit just shows up and all of a sudden just starts speaking like to us and, and through me or whatever, like gives me some insight he hasn't given me yet or given any other theologian in the history of the world yet, we're not going to have all these answers, okay? Can we be okay with that? Can we maybe wrestle with that? Because in a sense, he tells Daniel, listen, you're not going to understand, but I want you to go and live your life. 
And I think that's partly the conclusion we're going to come to. Now, we are going to wrestle with these things, and we're going to talk about uh, what some smarter people than I have said and what the, the main theories out there are. And then we're going to talk about what really is the heart underneath all of this and why Daniel is being shown this in the first place and what Daniel is expected to do as he goes on his way and what that possibly means for us. Sound good? So just to dispel the myth right there of like you're finally going to know what the time, times, and half a time means. Probably not. All right. So he starts with at that time. Remember, this is a continuation from chapter 11. And when Will was teaching on that, we were learning about all these different kingdoms that were battling against each other over the next few hundred years. Specifically, the northern kingdom and the south kingdom, right? These are the kingdoms right above Israel and the one just below Israel on a map. And they're making Israel their battleground. And so every time they're passing through to do battle against one another, guess who's caught in the crossfire? Israel. And so God's giving Daniel this message for the people of Israel to know that when these things come, they go, oh, God knew this ahead of time. God is in control. We can trust him. Things are bleak now. Things are awful now. This is really, really hard. We're being taken advantage of. We're, we're, our stuff is getting stolen from us. We're getting beat. But God knew ahead of time this is going to happen. And he is still with us. And not only that, he not only promised that this destruction would come to us, but he promised that there would be one like a son of man who would come one day and rescue us from it. This is what they had to hold on to, right? And so we ended that chapter with uh, this, this figure, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is kind of the worst of the worst, right? And he's, he's gone in, and, and one thing that uh, you may not be aware of is around 167 BC, he goes in and he sets up this abomination in the temple. Now, the Jewish people, anything that was set up as a, a place of worship for another false god or falsely worshiping the true God in his temple was considered an abomination. So if you've ever heard that term before, that name, the abomination of desolation, You've likely heard it in America growing up in, in the evangelical church. You've likely heard it as this picture of like this thing that's going to come in the future at the end times, the scary end times when this like beast and dragon come and this abomination of desolation, which we don't know what it is, but it sounds super scary, is set up, right? The Jewish people would have heard this not as like there's a capital A abomination, like they're looking for this one thing, but anything that is false worship, is an abomination. So just pause right there and reflect, like, what abominations are in your own household? What abominations are going on in my own heart right now? The things that I am placing above God, that I am worshiping over him. Now, in this context, what they're talking about is there were times when False worship to false gods was set up in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple that was set up to be a place of worship to the one true God over all creation, right? And this happened. So in 167 BC, there's this, this uh, abomination that Antiochus brings into the temple in Judah. And in about 164 BC, so that's about three years later, 
it's taken down and the people cleanse the temple. And so here's, now we've just entered into one theory of what this time, times, and half a time means. Because what most scholars believe that means, time being a year, times, two more years, and a half a time. We'll put half a finger up there. You got it? About three and a half years. Okay, and then you get down here, and one of the other angels asks, what does that mean, right? And then there's some more understanding. And then Daniel asks, hold on, what does that mean? Like, it's funny. You see the angel doesn't understand, and Daniel doesn't understand. And then you get this answer. There will be 1,290 days from the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation set up. But happy is the one who reaches 1335 days. We'll get to that 1335 in a second. But 1290, if you divide that up, it's about three and a half years. Okay, so likely talking about the same time frame here. The time times and half a time, the 1290 days are most likely that same time period in Daniel's vision that we're hearing about, not two separate instances. All right. Jewish calendar, 360 days in a year. Kids, do you know how many days are in our calendar in one year? 365, yeah. But Jewish calendar is 360. So if you go 360, three and a half times, it's actually 1260. Where does the other 30 days come from? This is where all these debates start coming in. And let me tell you, it's above my pay grade, okay? But, but what a lot of scholars believe is when he says half a time, that doesn't mean exactly half a year. It means not a full year. Okay, and so 1290 is about half a year. It's, it's not a full year. I think that counts. And so let's not split hairs, right? <laughs> All right, so from 167 to 164 BC, about three years, maybe a little bit over that, is when this time was set up where there was an abomination in the temple and then it was cleansed. It was cleansed by this revolt of the Jewish people. If you ever want to look up Judas Maccabee, he's the one who was leading this revolt. A lot of people thought this was going to be the Messiah because he was coming in and he was going to free God's people, right? Well, guess what? He died and he didn't come back to life. And so he was not the Messiah. And Israel was still, they were enslaved then to Rome. So it didn't work out for him. But could that possibly be the time that Daniel's hearing about right now? Possibly. It's one theory. Let's move forward to a second one. Jesus in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21. Let's actually go to Luke 21. These pages are so thin, it's really easy to skip over. Luke 21, and we'll look at verse 20, I believe. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, when he see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize its desolation has come near. That word sounds familiar, right? Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. And those who are in the country must not enter it because there are days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. In the Matthew version, which I believe is Matthew 24, he says the things that are written in the book of Daniel. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles 
until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This time that Jesus is talking about, most smart people believe, most scholars believe, he's talking about in the year 70 AD. That there was a war happening in Jerusalem from 67 AD to 70 AD. About three and a half years. And that Rome had gone in and they had laid siege to the temple in Jerusalem. And not only that, but they also, they trapped in all the Jewish people in that area and they kept food and water from getting into the city. And so some terrible things started happening when people were starving in there. Like they resorted to some terrible things that I will not mention here with children present. And that's why he says, it's better that women wouldn't even have kids. And so he tells them, flee to the mountains. And that's exactly what many of them who were reading this did, is they actually fled to the mountains when they saw that this was about to come. And so for about three and a half years, this was happening at the temple, okay? And then it was cleansed. So there's theory two. Theory three is this is a time that Daniel's hearing about that has not happened yet. It's something that's going to happen much later in the quote-unquote end times. Now, first of all, I hate that we refer to this time period that I'm about to talk about as the end times. Can anybody guess why? Because it's, who said the beginning? Yeah, it's the beginning, or it's not the end. I heard lots of people say, yeah, what we're talking about when traditionally in American church, what we've heard people talk about the end times, by the way, not the case in most of the history of the church. I'm talking about traditionally American church. We've made this end times thing talking about when Jesus returns to earth. I don't know about you guys, but that is not a scary thing if you are following Jesus as your king. And so when Jesus returns to the earth, yes, he is doing away with all who have rebelled against God and his kingdom, but he is restoring and renewing and making all things new for those who are in his kingdom. He is working all things to the glory of God and the good of those who love him. And he is bringing in this era of peace that it's an era that will last forever, all of eternity bringing restoration and healing to all the land, reviving our bodies and our souls. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. And so it's actually, yeah, a new beginning. That's why when we talk about the symbols of the story, we go from creation to restoration, not creation to obliteration, right? Or creation to new creation, you can call it. That God has made all things. Humans have rebelled against him and brought brokenness and ugliness, and death into the world. Everything's decaying. And yet God made a promise that one day he's going to send someone to make it right. We see that come in Jesus. But Jesus says, I'm going now to prepare a place for you. And in the meantime, I'm filling you with my spirit so you can now be my body here on earth. Until one day when he returns as our king and restores all things. That's the story that we live in, right? And so... This idea of, of the end times and all this fear stuff that I had when I was growing up in the church really irks me now <laughs> that I've seen the good news of the true story of the world. And so the good news is that Jesus is returning to renew all things. But here's the theory around those times. The theory is that this three and a half times, this three and a half years is a period that will take place 
around the time or just before the time that Jesus returns and there will be this abomination and the beast that you read about in Revelation will be roaming the earth and doing all kinds of destruction and God's people will really, really suffer and then Jesus comes and everything's made better, right? So, here's the thing. Do we know which of those exactly that Daniel's hearing about right now? The problem with all of those is none of them exactly match up to the 1290 days or the 1335 days. They're all close. You could say the one in the future, we don't know. It might match up exactly, but there's a big, huge question mark over that, right? And when we just heard in chapter 11 that all of these things that Daniel heard about from the messenger exactly add up to this period of time that happened before Jesus came. It's kind of hard to go with that timeline, like, okay, here's, the, here's what happens here, and then I'm going to skip several thousand years and tell you about three and a half years that happens there, right? Because remember, earlier in the book of Daniel, we were hearing about this 490-year period, and the, the same language is used for that last seven years where he says, the first half of that seven will be this, and then there will be another half of that seven, three and a half years. Why in the world would Daniel be given this message of, here's 490 years, but hold on, I want you to take that last three and a half years and then just like leapfrog it over a couple millennia? Seems weird. So none of these timelines match up perfectly. I'm going to give you a fourth option. That is not super prevalent. It's not super common. I want you to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but that I have seen some other, I was actually having a conversation with Anthony. I was like, dude, this seems like a coincidence to me. I don't know. And I haven't found anyone else saying it. So I don't want to say it because I'm really afraid of heresy. <laughs> and, uh, but I've, I've found some other people since then. I'm like, oh, hey, this could be one of the things they're talking about. How long was Jesus' ministry? About three and a half years. Was there a need for a daily sacrifice when Jesus has come and he's the sacrifice once and for all? And so when it talks about this daily sacrifice being put to end, when was it actually put to end? Jesus, yeah. When Jesus is here, we have no need for that. And some theologians believe that even before he went to the cross, he and his group possibly, this is, we don't see this in a verse, possibly were not practicing the daily sacrifices because we know that Pharisees came up to him one time and they're like, why aren't you guys fasting? Because that is part of Jewish law. And he goes, there's no need to fast when the bridegroom is here. Right? He's, he's the living sacrifice there with them. So it's possible. So possibly for three and a half years of his ministry, what Jesus has done is he's come and he's entered the world and he's ushered in a foretaste of what he's going to do to all of creation one day, right? And so what he's doing is he's going around undoing all the effects of sin. Someone's dead and he raises them to life. Someone's blind and he gives them sight. Someone's crippled and they can't walk and he lets them have the ability to walk again. He's undoing all the effects of the curse and the fall and he's bringing in new creation where he's stepping foot. And part of the effects of the fall was you had to sacrifice daily an animal to atone for your sins. And Jesus 
is that once and for all sacrifice. Then you get this 1335 days, right? So this is going to happen for about 1290 days, but happy is the one, this messenger says, who waits for the 1335 days. Someone do the math. What's the difference on those days? You guys are much better than I am. 45 days. All right, so what's going to happen from the time that that stops the 45 more days? We don't know, and that's the problem with all those timelines, right? All those timelines have something where you can kind of tweak and go, well, maybe it was this. Like, maybe in 70 AD when people heard that the temple had been cleansed, those in the mountains, it it took 45 days for them to get the message and come back down. Okay, maybe, but we don't know, right? Or maybe in 167 to 164 BC, and it took another 45 days, same thing for people to hear that news. Possibly, we don't know. And then if it's a future thing, like, Sure, we can say whatever we want to say because it hasn't happened yet, right? So I can, it's like all those like prophets who say uh, the year's going to end it, you know, or the world's going to end in this year, and then the year comes and goes. I actually was on a website the other day that was saying that about like 19 something, 1994, I think it was, and then it was like, it was edited. <laughs> you could see like the, the timestamp on the editing of it. And then they put another year in 2000 something. And then that was gone. And then the website just stopped being edited. So I was like, all right, yeah, give up. You are not a prophet. You don't know what you're talking about. So we can say anything we want to say about the future. And no one could disprove it yet unless they build a time machine, right? So we have a problem with all these timelines. Even with the one I just offered, which is my personal favorite right now it still doesn't quite add up exactly. Like three and a half years of his ministry, what's that 45 days? Well, you could say there's 40 days that Jesus reappears to his followers in the flesh after the resurrection. There's 50 days till they receive the Holy Spirit that day of Pentecost. Maybe you could just split the difference and call it 45, right? Or the time he, he dies to the time he stops appearing to them. You could add those three days in the tomb, you get 40. It still doesn't add up. So what do we do? Seriously, that's a real question. Anybody want to help me out? What do we do? Rejoice. What are we rejoicing? We're confused. You're right, though. What, what are we rejoicing? In Christ. Yeah, I think we see here that there's something deeper that really needs to be shared with Daniel and with God's people, right? And it's not so much about knowing the exact time that one event's gonna happen. In fact, I think what we've seen is that because all of these sort of match something, but not exactly, is what Daniel's being revealed is that there's a pattern of something that continues to take place in the world. If you can take all those things and put them on the timeline, they follow a similar pattern. And that's really the reality of the world. The true story of the world is God has established patterns in all things. I mean, just think about the day of rest, right? On the seventh day, he rested. Why did God need to rest? But he he stops what he's doing and creating things because he says it's complete. It's good. And that's what that word Sabbath, Shabbat means, is complete. And so he, he rests. And then you see when he goes in and he rescues them out of Egypt and he gives them bread from the sky, manna, which means what the, (laughs) bread's falling from the sky, 
he tells them on the sixth day you collect twice as much because on the seventh day I want you to rest. This is before he gives them the actual commandments when he tells them on the seventh day you will rest. And then he tells them on the seventh year I want you to rest even more. On the seventh, seventh year, which is 49 years, rest even more. And then you're going to have a big party year in year 50 of Jubilee where you release all debts. And so anyone who is enslaved to you, you let them go free. Anyone who owes you money, you excuse that. Which if I were you guys, if I was them in that time, like I would be like taking out loans year 49 as much as I could. <laughs> and they're like, I don't have to pay it anymore, right? But it's this idea like, no, we're restoring creation back to what it was supposed to be. And then Jesus even rests in the tomb on the seventh day. You see this pattern throughout the story? And one day when he returns, he is going to bring full rest eternally. We will enter. The, the biblical story is pointing us forward to an eternal Sabbath that will happen for all of creation. There's patterns that happen throughout the story. There's this pattern we're seeing here that Daniel's being told. You guys are checking. You're, you're going, I'm going to listen to the Bible and make sure what Chris is saying is right. I know that voice. I want to find out who voices that. He's got like the deepest, gruffest voice. It's crazy. All right. So there's this pattern that Daniel keeps getting told. Something is going to happen with Israel, right? And the pattern was set up even before him. Jeremiah was warning them ahead of time. And the pattern is this. The pattern is, Israel, you keep crying out to me. I come to rescue you. And then you forget me and you turn and start worshiping other gods. And then you get yourselves into trouble. Other nations come in and they take advantage of you. And then you cry out to me again. The cycle continues. And this pattern repeats itself all throughout the Old Testament. And it keeps repeating over and over and over again until Jesus comes. Now here's the thing. You and I are stuck in that same cycle too, right? We're stuck in that same loop. We're no better or different than Israel. God's people are continuing this pattern of crying out to him and going, we need you. He shows up. He brings comfort. He brings joy. He brings rescue. And then when we get comfortable, we stop recognizing we need him. And we turn to other things. And we put our hope in our job. We put our hope and trust in our family. We put our hope in our ability to do something and to be seen as someone who accomplishes. And then that all falls apart because it's never really worked. Right? Because it's not faithful. Because it's not consistent. Because it's a shaky ground and it can't hold us forever. And so eventually you're going to mess up. Eventually one of your family members is going to do something to hurt you. Eventually something will happen at your job. And then you cry out to God again. And sometimes if you're like me, you're crying out. sounds like, God, why would you let this happen? And he's going, oh, I've, you ran over there. I've been calling you over here this whole time. And this pattern it repeats itself continually. And so what I want to suggest is maybe this is less about one event. And this is the pattern of God and his people. The pattern that you see over and over. You saw it in 167 AD. You saw it in seven, or BC. You saw it in 70 AD. We'll see it again too. This pattern that God's people keep turning away from him and bring destruction on themselves. 
This is why they were in a season that's called Advent. Doesn't mean Christmas, by the way. Advent means you are waiting with expectation. You are waiting, you are longing, you are hoping. And God's people were waiting and longing and hoping for the promise he gave them all the way back at creation, that there would be one who would come and rescue them from their own mess that they got themselves into. And over and over again, they kept proving that they could not pull themselves out. And so they're waiting in this pattern for this promise to finally come. And you and I, we're in the same advent because Christ has come. That advent has taken place. And yet, and yet, he only inaugurated the kingdom. He only planted the seed of the kingdom. It's still growing, it's flourishing. And he said, I'm giving you my spirit so you can now live in the kingdom here and now until I return and bring it to its fullness. And so we are waiting with expectation when we're feeling overwhelmed, when our bodies are getting sick, when we have relational issues with family members and neighbors and friends and loved ones, when our job doesn't go the way we want it to go, when we're in debt, when we lose somebody we care about. We're in this season of waiting and longing and hoping for things to be made right. This Advent, come Lord Jesus, please end this pattern. And this is the good news. The good news is, in this message, not that Daniel understands what the 1290 and 1335 mean, not that Daniel understands what the time, times, and half a time mean. The good news is, he says, as for you, go on your way to the end, you will rest, and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Ephesians talks about our inheritance as the saints. What is our inheritance? It is the spirit. It is unity with Christ. It is dwelling in the kingdom of God forever and ever as his children. There is an end to the pattern that will come. The promise will come. And what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the here and now? In this pattern of brokenness and getting little glimpses of that promise. We do what the messenger told Daniel to do. This is what he says. Verse three, those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We are called to shine with the good news that we have been given. We are called to live as representatives of God's kingdom here and now in the brokenness. We are called as we've been made in the image of God and now have been given the spirit of Christ to be the body of Christ to be those who point others to Christ even in the here and now. And he ends this with Daniel going, listen, go on your way. This isn't even for you right now. What I want you to do, Daniel, is to go live your life. Live it in the midst of Babylon where you've been exiled to. Live it in the midst of all these false gods being worshipped and live as one who worships me just like you've been doing this whole time. Continue that. Continue living that way so that others might see that I am coming, that the promise is true, and that this pattern will be broken. Remember, we said at the very beginning, the book of Daniel is mostly about, yes, it's got 
prophecies. It's apocalyptic. You know what that word apocalypse means, by the way? Not end, not destruction. It means revealing. God's been revealing stuff to Daniel. He's revealing it to us. Yes, there's that stuff going on. But remember we said primarily this book is about how do God's people live faithfully for God in the midst of an idolatrous culture? And that's how we're ending in chapter 12. How do we live faithfully as God's people in the midst of a culture that does not know him? We point to him. We shine. We be that reflection, that mirror, that when people look at us, Lord willing, they are seeing what Jesus is like. And we need each other to do that. I do not adequately reflect Jesus. And I cannot be the full body of Christ. I'm a little toenail on the foot. But when we're together as God's people, we form the body. And people look at us as a community, not as an individual, as a community, loving one another, carrying one another's burdens, going out into the world and being a blessing to those who don't yet know this good news. That's when we shine like the stars that we see here. One more thing I want to leave us with. One other weird thing that we didn't even touch yet. Verse 2, it says, Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. All right. A couple of those timelines had none of that happening except for Jesus's. Do you know that when Jesus entered the tomb and then he rose again, on that, when he died on the cross... On that day, the curtain was torn, the earth quaked, rocks were split, and graves were opened up. And people got up out of them. And they walked and they visited their families. Just a little bit of a glimpse, a foretaste of what was going to come. This is what we hold on hope to. All right, there's one day where that will happen finally and fully. I love that each of those timelines touch on a little bit of a different part of this. They're all fitting into a pattern and they're all giving us a foretaste of pointing forward to something when it happens in its fullness. And one day in its fullness, we will live resurrected lives. We will get up out of the tomb. We will get up out of our death by God's power, by his spirit, in the same way Jesus walked up out of the tomb. If you've been in the grave for thousands of years and decayed, it doesn't matter. If you've been cremated, it doesn't matter. God formed the first man out of dust and breathed his breath into him. He could do it again, right? He will gather and he will restore and renew your body if you are in Christ. That's your inheritance and you will walk again. And you will walk in the cool of the day, in the garden, as it was in the beginning, with God as our light shining forever. That's our hope that we are in Advent waiting expectantly for. And as we enter into this Christmas season, as we go through these next four Sundays preaching on Advent, and you have all the hustle and bustle of life and distractions and weird things going on around you, May we keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on the hope that we have ahead of us. Amen.